You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Today's reading is called What the Living Do by Marie Howe. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the Drano won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the every day we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky is a deep, headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here, and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And, and yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again. And again later, when buying a hairbrush, this is it. Parking, slamming the door shut in the cold, what you called the yearning. What you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or or not to call. Winter to pass. A letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window at the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, a chapped face, and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. Thank you, Jack. Right in the full arc of human experience this morning. I'm going to invite you to ponder with me for just a moment. Ponder with me, if you will, the passing of time. It might feel unusual. How often do we pay attention to time passing just to do it? Usually we take notice when we're running late, running out of time, impatient, excited, hopeful looking forward to something in the near future or the distant future, bracing ourselves for impact, good or bad. But to just sit and feel the seconds. There's one. Another gone. A few more gone. Tick, tock. Can you feel it? Let's try it together. See if you can focus on the seconds passing by. 
There's nothing mystical about this. And maybe we don't really feel the time passing, but it can still be our reality, taking note and letting whatever feelings we feel in this moment arrive and visit us for a while. Some of you might wonder if something special was supposed to happen. Not really. We're just being mindful of time, mindful of our lives. We've breathed hundreds of breaths in this room since I started speaking. Hundreds more online, and that's all well and good. But just as we are breathing in these now minutes together, life in its fullness continues. And that includes the other side of living, that of dying. Each second we took notice of time slipping by, nearly two people died. Every second, every day, continually, worldwide. 1.8 people, to be exact, according to official estimates. And I'll let you figure out what the point eight even means. We human beings have a sobering responsibility to contemplate the meaning of life and to contemplate the meaning of death. We live knowing we will die. We also live knowing that all things pass away eventually. Not only are we mortals, but everyone next to us, everyone we know and love, everyone we've never known, everyone we despise. Our pets, the spider on the wall this morning, the daffodils blooming too early, this planet, this solar system, this universe, all mortal in its own way, all with an existence that is their own that will also come to an end. Now, I cannot tell you what death looks like for things on a cosmic level. I just take the sobering information given to us by astrophysicists and just let it sink in. All things shall pass. Now, despite having this responsibility, it would be a little bizarre if it consumed our lives wholly. We still must live. We cannot walk around in fear or morbid fascination all the time. Yes, we will die, but the bills need to be paid. The dog needs to be walked. We're off to play pickleball or soccer or cards or video games. The kids need to be picked up from school. We need to do this or that, this or that. As in the poem we just heard, mortality, whether visited upon us, when we contemplate our own, or when we lose someone we love, still the day of the day living must be done. Everything should be in balance, though. This should come as no surprise, right? But our culture has a peculiar relationship with death. I wonder if you're feeling it this morning. It's to the point of being completely avoidant. You'd think we Americans would live forever when you hear us speak. And there is so much in our healthcare system, many of our spiritual or religious paths, and so on, that deny death in some way. The other but related side of this calls to mind a line from the play Angels in America by Tony Kushner. When a dying Roy Cohn remarks to the ghost of Ethel Rosenberg, the worst thing about being sick in America is you are booted out of the parade. Americans have no use for the sick. Our relationship with our mortality has a lot of baggage. Sickness is seen as some burden, death as something to be handled over there. The funeral industry makes it all quite tidy at a premium. And yet try as we may, every second someone dies. It is an ever-present reality. Now let's be clear, our job here this morning is not to fix death. 
or healthcare or the funeral industry. Our job is also not to stamp out any fear or nervousness around our mortality that we might be feeling. Primarily, I see our role as a church like ours to give space for us to wrestle with the fullness of our humanity, which includes our eventual demise. And what better time to do this on the cusp of the season of Lent? In a few days, our Christian friends worldwide will enter into a 40-day period of reflection on mortality, discipline, and sacrifice, as at least that's what it should be. Those of you that come from traditions that celebrated Lent, many of you probably saw the season as, oh, that time I gave up ice cream for a few days, or some other minor vice. One year in solidarity with my Congregationalist friends in college, I gave up coffee and all caffeine. They were so glad when Lent was over. (laughs) I was not a pleasant person, apparently. If we look at traditional celebrations of Lent, we see that every Wednesday and Friday is a day of fasting. Some Christian traditions skip one or two meals for the entirety of the season. Most just pick two days. Churches will host simple soup gatherings where they gather and reflect on important topics, mortality or spiritual discipline. It's supposed to be a season of introspection and communal reflection. We Unitarian Universalists don't often do Lent. At best, we have photo challenges on social media for 40 days. Take a photo of something that reminds you of love or hope or vulnerability and so on and so on. I don't oppose such a practice. Some Unitarian Universalists take it very seriously and it accomplishes its goal a season of introspection and reflection. It does feel a little more intentional than when someone says, I gave up black licorice, but I really don't like black licorice to begin with. (laughs) To fudge the rules a bit. But I keep thinking of how Lent begins. I keep thinking that modern Christian observances and even UU observances miss the mark a bit. The day before Lent and the first day of Lent gives us clues to the tenor of the season that awaits us. The eve of Lent on Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday, Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. In Belgium, it's Carnival of Binch. In German-speaking nations, it's Schmutzinger Donnerstag or Weiberfassnacht and many other names. Italy has Martedi Grasso, Sweden, Fetistagen, Shrovetide, Carnival, Usgavenis, Maslenitsa, my favorite, Butter Week, or Pancake Tuesday. We could get lost in even more names and all of the customs. The serving of blinis in Slavic nations, the pickup soccer games in Ireland and Britain. Finnic cultures are known for an almond paste sweet roll. I said we might all leave here hungry today. Blinis, sweet rolls, all sorts of fun things. Counties Cork and Kerry in Ireland often have Skelignite where the unmarried are taunted with songs and jeers, hopefully in good fun. Holly from Christmastide is often burned in the fires that make pancakes in Ireland. For me and for my background, it's Shrovetide, a day where I intentionally call to mind Shrove or Shreve, an old word meaning absolution. Just as our Jewish friends call to mind their broken relationships during the high holy days, Shrovetide is a time to call to mind that brokenness once more. And then to celebrate, to celebrate life. 
You heard it in the examples, right? Play soccer, sing songs, eat pastries, prepare heaping piles of pancakes for breakfast or dinner or both. Why not? And in New Orleans, to parade and dance and give out beads and drink and celebrate. All of these celebrations the evening before Lent begin with life. Sometimes in our very celebration, relationships are repaired and we find some absolution for the things weighing heavy on us. Because the day after is when it all quietens down once more. A somber period of reflection for 40 days. You've celebrated life for a day and night. Now time to contemplate your own death. Ash Wednesday Wednesday is such a contrast to Mardi Gras, and I love that. Two side-by-side celebrations that encapsulate one of the hallmarks of the human condition. We are so fully aware of our life and living, but so too our eventual death. Have you ever been to an Ash Wednesday service? See some nods, yeah. I can't fully speak to the theological content of such services. I can't speak authoritatively to what is said about Jesus or Christianity or any of the rest. What I do remember, though, what I hold dear from that tradition is the imposition of ashes. If you're unfamiliar with this, many Christians will have palm ashes mixed with oil spread on their forehead in the shape of a cross. And as the minister or priest puts them on the forehead of each person, it is done with these words. Remember, you are dust and to dust you shall return. For all that Christianity emphasizes about new life and love, it has a lot to say about death. There's a new book that I've not quite made my way through. It's called The Cult of the Dead, A Brief History of Christianity by Kyle Smith. He lifts this up. Perhaps Christianity is also a religion of death. And perhaps we have a lot to learn about that. Remember, you are ashes, and to ashes you shall return. This after a night of dancing, singing, parading, beads, drinking, gorging oneself on pastries and pancakes and what have you. A night overflowing with the excesses of life. Remember, you are dust. Perhaps there are hangovers in the lines of those receiving ashes. Remember, you are dust. Stomachs still churning from all the rich foods that people had eaten. Remember, you are dust. Legs aching from dancing and parading. Remember, you are dust. Repairing relationships, forging relationships, contemplating the joys of life, remember you are dust. Those four words, remember you are dust, feel like a sobering tonic for all that ails us. That person that ran through the stop sign in front of us, remember you are dust. They are too. The politicians making decisions that alienate entire populations of people, remember you are dust. They are too. That apprehension we might feel about taking a risk, pursuing a passion, starting fresh, letting ourselves be heard, seeking justice, whatever that causes that doubt to arise, remember you are dust. Remember the joy of life the night before. Remember that our mortality is both life and death. Remember that you being here right now, is the result of billions and billions of cosmic coincidences set in motion at the very birth of the universe. Remember you are dust, the dust of stars. And as beautiful as that metaphor is, so is that person you dislike. So is that person living in fear. So is the oppressor. 
So is the slug and scorpion and spider. So is the garbage in your trash can. Stardust in my trash. Remember the beauty of the metaphor, but let the reality sink in. Remember it's all the dust, and to dust it shall return. Every last bit of it. I happen to think there's a lot of freedom in this acknowledgement, this contemplation. A freedom to love life more deeply than ever. Rumi once wrote of this. He said, our death is our wedding with eternity. What is the secret? God is one. In that oneness, whatever that oneness is, for Rumi, it was an idea of God. But either way, that one oneness relegates us all to the truth that we are united in death. Every king, queen, emperor, politician, tyrant, saint, humanitarian, rock star, minister, congregation member, all of us have that outcome ahead of us. Zen poets and practitioners throughout time have made a practice of writing deathbed poems. The Korean statesman, Seong Samun, wrote before his execution, What shall I become when this body is dead and gone? Ah, a tall, thick pine tree on the highest peak of Bongre Mountain, evergreen alone when the white snow covers the world. Oneness. Transcendentalist poet Walt Whitman, all goes onward and outward, nothing collapses, and to die is different from what anyone supposed and luckier. Oneness. Remember you are dust. A few weeks ago, we explored spiritual practices in this congregation. I've enjoyed hearing from many of you what you tried from the spiritual practice you got. One of them was memento mori, contemplating your mortality. And it asked a simple question. If today was my last day, how shall I live? It's a question I try to ask myself often. Do I embody the hope of that question? Not always. I'm human. I mess up. I get angry, sometimes over the most ridiculous things. I let myself be distracted. But in the back of my mind, it is always there. Remember you are dust. How shall you live today? The hope for all of us is to center that practice in our lives. If your response to that question, how shall I live today, is to uh, go and punch someone that you don't like, we need to talk for a minute there. <laughs> the goal here is to discover what is life-affirming and life-giving for you and others. We can explore if a punch is, can accomplish that at another time. I really don't know. My hope, though, for you, for me, for all of us, is to love life. I believe that in doing so, we can reconcile ourselves to our mortality, because what a gift it is. Now, this is not to downplay the struggles of life. They're there. They're real. My heart is breaking into a million pieces for trans kids across our commonwealth today. My heart is breaking for the LGBTQ community and what awaits us. I say this often, and I mean it, though. Look to any oppressed community. Honor and acknowledge the real struggles those communities face, but look to their practices of joy, of life, of abundance, right there. It doesn't take away the struggles, but it reminds them, it reminds everyone that life is worth fighting for. And so this is a call for us to think again of the passing of time, the passing of our lives. As a religious tradition rooted in the here and the now, we ask ourselves, how shall we live? So do it. Ask yourself, how shall you live? Because you will die. Your regrets, your failures, 
your mix-ups, your risks, that time you were embarrassed, your fears, everything will die with you. So what can you do now to love life more fully? Not recklessly, but abundantly in a way that helps us and our communities thrive. How shall you love your life today? In the spirit of Lent and of remembering that we are dust, contemplating our mortality, here's just a brief announcement. We're going to have a six-week series coming up. There'll be an email sent out, of course, during the season of Lent. This is how we're going to do Lent. And it'll be a six-week series contemplating our mortality together as a community. There'll be three death cafes, a workshop on obituaries, ethical wills, legacy letters, a green burial movie night, a workshop on medical advance directives. If you don't have one, you should have one. Come to the workshop and get one. And a workshop on the dying process. You're invited to all those or some of those. Most of the events will be in person, but if they can be a hybrid, they will be. I'm working with our community minister, Reverend Esther Hilbert, who I just saw and lost. <laughs> um, a death doula in Lexington named Lee Ball, UUCL member and Green Burial Advocate Jennifer Crossin, and our intern minister, Bill Lyon, to make this happen. Our series starts next week after service, 1230, in the sanctuary. We'll host our first death cafe called Death and Donuts. <laughs> There's a tradition in death cafes of having cake. We're doing donuts. And then we'll have cake too. If you've never experienced this kind of ex- the death cafe, you are invited to learn more and to come and to experience that. And so remember you are dust, dear friends. Let us live and love abundantly. Blessed be. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.